We now come to the start of questions to the Prime Minister. I'm going to start by calling the Prime Minister to... Mr Doherty, I don't need any comments, thank you. I now call the Prime Minister to answer the engagement question from Mark Menzies, who's particip participating virtually. Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Heading up to wonderful Lancashire with Mark Menzies. Mark Menzies. Uh, last week saw the 80th anniversary of the beginning of the Battle of Britain. As you're aware, Mr Speaker, BA Systems alone employs over 10,000 people across Lancashire, supporting the great work of our RAF and are taking on over 250 apprentices in that part of the business this year. Will the Prime Minister come to visit Wharton, meet these apprentices and commit to doing all that he can to secure these key jobs through support for defence exports and the Team Tempest programme? Uh, well, Mr Speaker, I have no doubt that I'll be coming to Wharton in due course. Let me tell him that uh, already there are uh, 1,800 highly skilled engineers and programmers uh, involved in the project, going up to 2,500 uh, next year, and uh, 800 of those are in his constituency, and I look forward to his constituency being at the epicentre of the development of the, the, the next UK-led combat air programme. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, the Right Honourable Sir Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Over the last few months, we've supported many of the economic measures announced by the Government, but the decision last week not to provide sector-specific support to those most at risk could end up costing thousands of jobs. One of the sectors, aviation, has already seen huge redundancies. BA have announced 12,000 redundancies, Virgin 3,000. EasyJet 1,900. If the government's priority really is to protect jobs, why did the Chancellor not bring forward sector-specific deals that could have done precisely that? Prime Minister. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, no one should underestimate the scale of the challenge that this country faces, and uh, that is why the Chancellor has brought forward a range of measures, which, I'm, by the way, he supported uh, last week. Uh, Mr Speaker, the, uh, the job uh, retention bonus, the uh, Kickstarter programme for young people, and we are also doing a huge amount to support the aviation sector. And one of the, uh, one of the companies uh, that he mentions, Virgin, has now come out of the Birch uh, process after extremely difficult, uh, but in the end, productive conversations. That's the work of this government, getting on, helping companies through it, helping our people through it. Uh, uh, and I may say to Mr Speaker, he has to work out whether he's going to support or oppose the government's programme to get people back into work. Last, last week, the shadow, the shadow Chancellor said uh, here in this House of Commons, Mr Speaker, that she supported our programme. This week, he says he opposes it. Which is it? Keir Starmer. This is just such rhetorical nonsense. It is, it is perfectly proper and right for the opposition to set out the parts of the package that we support of the government and to highlight where there are problems. And the problem with the Prime Minister's dismissal of this is that since the Chancellor sat down last week, around 10,000 people have lost their jobs. The Prime Minister should focus on them, not the rhetoric. And the OBR yesterday projected 3.5 million unemployed next year. I want to press the Prime Minister further on the situation at BA, a huge employer and the national flag carrier. Alongside the 12,000 redundancies already announced, BA is trying to force through 
the rehiring of the remaining 30,000 workers on worse terms and conditions. That's totally unacceptable, and it's a warning shot to millions of other working people. The Prime Minister sent an email to BA staff in which he said, I've already made it clear that firms should not be using furlough to cynically keep people on their books and then remove them or change their terms and conditions. That was the 2nd of June. It's now six weeks on. Will the Prime Minister now personally intervene and make clear that actions like those at BA cannot be allowed to stand without consequences for landing slots? Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, we've been absolutely clear that we want our companies, our great companies across this country to support their workers and uh, to keep them in employment where they, where they possibly can. And I've made that point clear to, uh, in the, on the floor of the House uh, just in the last couple of weeks. But let's be, let's be absolutely, uh, absolutely clear. British Airways and many other companies are in severe difficulties at the moment. And we cannot, uh, I'm afraid, Mr Speaker, simply, uh, with a magic wand, ensure that every single job that was, was, was being done before the crisis is retained after the crisis. What we can do, and what we are doing, is encouraging companies to keep their workers on with the job retention scheme, uh, with the job retention bonus, and with a massive programme in investment in this country, a £600 billion investment programme in this country to build, 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 and create jobs, jobs, jobs. And that is what we are doing, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's the rehiring 30,000 people at BA on worse terms and conditions, and he should call it out. Yesterday, the government's expert advisory group published a report on the challenges this autumn and winter. They were asked to do so by the government's Office for Science. That report assessed the reasonable worst-case scenario for this autumn and winter, including a second Covid spike and seasonal flu, and it set out strong recommended actions to mitigate the risks. The report was clear. July and August must be a period of intense preparation, i.e. now. Can the Prime Minister make clear that he intends to implement the recommended actions in this report in full and at speed. Uh, Prime Mr. Speaker, not only are we, are we getting on with uh, implementing uh, the preparations for a potential uh, new spike, but he will know that the government is engaged in record investments in the NHS, £34 billion. What I think the House may not, not realise is, just in the last year since this government has been in, in office, uh, there are now 12,000 more nurses in the NHS, 6,000 more doctors, and it was thanks to their hard work, thanks to the hard work of the entire NHS, that we were able to prevent our health service from being overwhelmed uh, this spring and we will, in, we will take steps to ensure that it is not overwhelmed this winter as well. Starmer. That's the whole point of this report. Exactly. It sets out the reasonable worst case scenario and tells the government what it needs to do about it. So I'm surprised he's not committing to fully implement it. It's vital that the government learns the lessons from the mistakes that have been made and acts now to save lives for the future. One of the key recommendations in this report, commissioned by the Government's Office for Science is that testing and tracing capacity will need to be significantly expanded to cope with increased demands over the winter. The reality is this. Trace and track is not working as promised as it stands today. The report makes clear it needs to be significantly expanded to cope with the risks of autumn and winter. What assurance can the Prime Minister give that the system will be fit for both purposes in the timeframe envisaged in this report, i.e. by this September? 
Prime Minister. Oh, Mr Speaker, once again he attacks the test and trace operation which is uh, working at absolutely unprecedented uh, scale and 144,000 people across the country 144,000 people across the country have now agreed to uh, self-isolate to stop the spread of the virus. Uh, and he, he keeps saying that there were, the test and trace operation is failing to contact enough people or uh, failing to get enough people to, uh, to self-isolate. Actually, they are doing fantastic work. They, they, 70% or 80% of the contacts uh, are, are, are found and, uh, and they, are, they are getting through to the vast majority of people who have the disease. And I, I can certainly give the House the assurance that our test and trace system is as good as or better than any other system anywhere in the world. And yes, it will play, it will play, a, vital, it will play a vital part in ensuring that we do not have a second spike this winter. And what I think he should do, instead of knocking the confidence of the country in the test and trace system, he, it's not, now is the time for him to return to his previous script and build it up. That's what he needs to do. Mr Speaker, the problem with the Prime Minister quoting the 70% of people who are contacted and asked to self-isolate is that's gone down. It was 90% just a few weeks ago, and every week it's gone down. So I wouldn't quote the latest figure um, looking at the trend. But I have to ask, in light of the last few questions, has the Prime Minister actually read this report that sets out the reasonable worst-case scenario and tells the government what it needs to do about it in the next six weeks? Has he read it? Prime Minister, I am of course aware of the report, and we are of course, we are of course taking every reasonable step to prepare this country uh, for for a, a second spike. And and I'm, I may say to the to the right honourable gentleman, it is it is up to him, uh, really, to get behind what the government is doing or or not. And uh, he has previously supported our plan. He has previously come to this house and said that he supports our measures. Uh, he now says he now says I think that he doesn't support. Them. I think what he needs to do is build up the confidence of the people of this country uh, cautiously to get back to work, cautiously to restart our economy, which is what we are trying to do, instead of endlessly knocking the confidence of the people of this country, knocking their confidence in tests and trace, knocking their confidence in uh, our schools and the safety of our schools, and knocking the co our confidence in our transport network. Now is the time for him to decide whether he backs the government or not. Yeah. It is perfectly possible to support track and trace and point out the problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And standing up every week saying it's a stunning success is kidding no one. That isn't giving people confidence in the system. They would like the Prime Minister who stands up and says there are problems and this is what I'm going to do about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not this rhetoric about stunning success when it's obviously not true. Yeah, yeah. Finally this afternoon, yeah, yeah, yeah. this afternoon Prime Minister, I'm meeting the families of the Covid-19 Bereaved Families for Justice group a group of hundreds of families who have lost loved ones. They say this, and I quote, we won't let the deaths of our loved ones be in vain, and we won't allow the government to risk a second wave of deaths without learning from their mistakes. They will be listening to the Prime Minister's answers today. So what would the Prime Minister like to say to them? Prime Minister. M Mr Speaker, I join with, I think, every member of the House in mourning the loss of everybody who has died in this, in this epidemic. And I can assure him and through him, uh, the victims and their families, uh, that we will do absolutely everything in our power 
to prevent a second spike in this uh, in this epidemic and that's why we're taking the steps that we are that's why we've set up as i say an unprecedented test and trace operation that's why uh, we are investing massively in our nhs in our frontline staff and in, as I say, in the last year, recruiting 12,000 more nurses as part of a programme to recruit 50,000 more, preparing our NHS for winter, we will do absolutely everything we can to protect our country and uh, to stop a second spike. But what he has to decide is whether, whether he wants to back that programme or not. Because one day he says it's safe to go back uh, to school, the next day uh, he's, he's taking the line of the unions, one day, one day they're, they're supporting our economic programme, the next day they're saying our stamp duty cut is an unacceptable bung, one day they're saying they accept the result of the Brexit referendum, the next day, today, uh, they're going to tell their troops to do uh, the exact opposite. He needs to make up his mind uh, which brief he's going to take today. Because at the moment, Mr. Speaker, looks he's got more briefs than Calvin Klein. We're getting on. We're getting on. We're getting on with delivering on our agenda for the country, getting this country through this pandemic, and taking it forward. Can I just say to the Prime Minister as well, we are going to work through the chair. We're not. The audience isn't that way. It's this way. Rob Butler. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, my constituency is home to many farms producing excellent British food. Can my right honourable friend confirm to me that the new trade deals our government is working on will safeguard our high food standards and provide fantastic new opportunities to the hard-working farmers in my part of Buckinghamshire? Yeah. Prime Minister. Uh, yes, indeed, Mr. Speaker. I can give him that assurance. We will not only protect uh, high food standards in this country, safeguard animal welfare, but open up new opportunities for farmers in Buckinghamshire and across the UK. We now come to the leader of the SNP in Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Tomorrow, this Tory government will publish legislation for its biggest power grab since the Scottish people voted overwhelmingly for the Scottish Parliament in 1997. Westminster's plan to impose an unelected, unaccountable body to rule on decisions made by the Scottish Parliament will not be accepted. The decisions of the Scottish Parliament must and will be decided by the Scottish people. We also reject any attempts of lower standards from one part of the United Kingdom being imposed on Scotland, knowing that this Tory government is prepared to sell out food and agriculture industry to his pal Donald Trump. Will the Prime Minister confirm that his Tory government are once again ignoring the wishes of the Scottish people and launching their hostile agenda against devolution? Prime Minister. On the contrary, Mr Speaker, what we are doing is possibly the biggest single act of devolution uh, to Scotland, to Wales, to Northern Ireland in modern memory. And it's, uh, you should be celebrating them, the 70 powers or more that are going to be transferred uh, to, the, to the elected uh, people in Scotland. Uh, what he wants, by contrast, is barriers, trade barriers, Mr Speaker, between England and Scotland. No, no, nobody able to use sterling uh, in sterling. He, talk about, he talks about unelected and unaccountable uh, people. What he wants to do, Mr Speaker, is hand the powers that we would give back to Scotland from this Parliament to Brussels, which is neither elected nor accountable. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Of course, the document we're going to see tomorrow is going to talk about the benefits of a single market. It's a pity 
that the Prime Minister doesn't understand the economic value of the European single market and customs union. This Prime Minister often states the need to respect referendum results. Then he should respect the decision taken by the Scottish people in 1997. We know this government is undertaking a full-scale assault on devolution. A Brexit settlement Scotland rejected, imposed on Scotland. An immigration system Scotland rejected, imposed on Scotland. A decade of Tory government Scotland rejected, imposed on Scotland. It is no wonder the First Minister's approval ratings are three times that of this Prime Minister. Effective leadership and respecting the will of the people contrasted with the bumbling shambles coming from Westminster. Scotland has the right to have our decisions made by those we elect, not bureaucrats appointed by Westminster. Will the Prime Minister guarantee that his plans will not be imposed on Scotland, that Scotland will have the chance to choose for ourselves? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, well, first, first of all, I think, I, I, just to repeat my point, Mr Speaker, it's something extraordinary for him to attack uh, unelected bureaucrats uh, for, for any role they may have in Scotland, when his proposal is to hand back the powers that we are going to be, this place is going to be transferring uh, to Scotland, back to Brussels, uh, where they are neither elected nor accountable uh, to the people of Scotland. So I really don't know uh, what he means. As for, as for his, uh, his point about respecting referendum uh, results, Mr. Speaker, uh, I think the House will recall that there was a referendum uh, on the issue of Scottish independence, on the issue of breaking up the union in 2014. In 2014, they said at the time that it was going to be a once-in-a-generation event. I think they should keep their promises to the people of, the, of this country and to the people of Scotland. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, my constituent, Eva Slapper, is a beautiful and brave nine-year-old girl with an operable brain tumour. Now, Repsom has rallied round unbeatable Eva, but with the only suitable treatment option being offered abroad, the family are struggling to make the travel arrangements. Would the Prime Minister offer reassurance that he will work with the family to look at ways Eva can access treatment? Thank you. Yes. Prime Minister. Uh, yes, Mr Speaker. I, I thank my honourable friend for her question and our thoughts are very much with Eva, her family, and uh, we will, of course, uh, look at everything we can do uh, to support uh, her and, uh, and, and her travel arrangements. Trevor Davey. Mr Speaker, under this Prime Minister, we've suffered one of the worst death rates in the world and Europe's worst death rate for health and care workers. Previously, he's refused my demand for immediate inquiry, immediate independent inquiry, saying it's too soon. Even though back in 2003, he voted for an independent inquiry into the Iraq war just months after that conflict had started. If he still rejects an immediate inquiry, will he instead commit, in principle, to a future public inquiry? Yes or no? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, as I've told the House several times, I do not believe that now, in the middle of combating, still as we are, a pandemic is uh, the right moment to devote huge amounts of official time uh, to uh, an inquiry. But of course, of course, Mr Speaker, we will seek to learn the lessons of this pandemic uh, in the future. And certainly we will have an independent inquiry into what happened. Durham Henry. Mr Speaker, after such a difficult few months for everyone, people with mental health conditions are especially suffering increased anxiety. 
The effects of isolation, months without treatment, and most importantly, a lack of early intervention. Can the Prime Minister outline what steps the Government will take to make sure that people with mental health conditions are not left alone or behind? I'm Minister. Well, I thank my honourable friend for campaigning on this issue, which is, of course, incredibly important and has been particularly during lockdown. Uh, overall, we've massively increased our funding for mental health care to £12.5 billion. But we're also, as he knows, now publishing our uh, national strategy for disabled people, which will cover all types of disability, uh, including physical and mental health. Paul Blomkin. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On Monday, uh, in announcing new immigration rules that will prevent people coming to work in social care, ministers said that care workers should be paid more. That's right, they should. The chair of the government's Migration Advisory Committee said they should receive around 50% more than current rates. Now, the government is the primary funder of social care. So will the Prime Minister commit to providing the additional money to provide to pay those higher rates? Yeah. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, I, I can tell the House that we have all, already uh, taken steps to support local authorities through another, uh, another 3.2 uh, billion uh, to support them, a 600 million uh, pound uh, contribution to uh, fight infection, and we are incredibly proud of what our social care workers do and what this government has done. Uh, in sharp contrast to uh, the previous government, is we have not only introduced a national living wage, but we have increased it by the biggest ever amount. But Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, on Friday, uh, the last surviving Battle of Britain aircrew member, Group Captain John Hemingway, uh, turns 101 in the week that marks the 80th anniversary of the start of that pivotal campaign. Uh, in contrast with that golden generation, he will not seek any recognition for himself. But we ought to shine a spotlight on the sacrifice of those who defended freedom, and particularly the 1,500 from all commands who fell. Would the Prime Minister give some thought to how we might recognise Group Captain John Hemingway, not for himself, but as the final representative of the few? I'm Minister. Um, uh, Mr Speaker, I, I thank him for his question. I will indeed think about what we can do. As he knows, these are matters for uh, the Honours uh, Committees, which are independent of government, and I would urge him strongly uh, to make his representations to them. Let's head to Dundee and visit Chris Law. Chris Law. Mr Speaker, last month the Chancellor received a letter from all Tayside councils, including my proud city of Dundee, requesting urgent action to finally sign off the Tayside Cities deal after more than 18 months of waiting. 6,000 jobs hang in the balance while this constant delay continues and the situation has been described quite rightly as ridiculous by the Chief Executive of the region's Chamber of Commerce. Two previous ministers have, Prime Ministers have failed to deliver when asked, so will this Prime Minister personally guarantee that he will sign off this vital city deal without delay? Mister. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, uh, I know that we've done uh, a number of growth deals uh, in Scotland uh, recently and I know that we intend to do more. And I, the best I can think I can say to the uh, Honourable Gentleman is I will uh, write to him uh, with an answer about the Tay City deal. 
Craig McKinley. Mr Speaker, I refer the House to my register of interest. Uh, there is a sense of great celebration in uh, Thanet and East Kent with the positive development consent order for Manston Airport, allowing that asset to fly once more. But we have one part of the jigsaw puzzle to solve, and that is Thanet Parkway Station. Uh, it was deemed desirable before the DCO. It now has to be deemed as essential. Unfortunately, through COVID pressures, Kent County Council feel unable to raise the £17 million by a Public Works and Loan Board loan to support the final part of the jigsaw. Can my right honourable friend use the influence of his great office to encourage the Chancellor and Ministers to find that £17 million to complete the regeneration of Thanet and East Kent? Well, Mr Speaker, I have good news for my honourable friend because the Department of Transport has received a bid for funding Thanet Park uh, railway station. It's going to be assessed in the third round of the new stations fund, and uh, he, uh, I, I hope, he will hear uh, good news in uh, in the near future. Durham Jones, Prime Minister, on the uh, sorry, Mr. Speaker, on the 23rd of June, and again on the 24th of June, the Prime Minister said to the House in respect of financial support for businesses and workers during local lockdowns that nobody should be penalised for doing the right thing. Last week, the Secretary of State for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy was unable to give any details to my committee at all about this vital future local support. So can the Prime Minister today be crystal clear for the towns and cities preparing for local lockdowns, will he be penalising businesses and workers for doing the right thing or not? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, we've given, in addition to the £160 billion of support that the Government has given to people and firms across the country, uh, we've supported uh, areas, uh, cities in, in lockdown uh, with uh, considerable uh, grants, uh, £20 million, uh, to, to Leicester, business rates relief of £44 million, uh, £68 million in, in business, on spending on business grants. The best thing possible is for them all to work hard, uh, as, as Blackburn with Darwin have done, for instance, to get the virus down and to make sure that they're able uh, to open up again. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In my constituency of Filton and Bradley Stoke, there are well over 20,000 people directly employed in the aerospace and defence sectors, as well as 17,500 people in the supply chain throughout the South West region. Now, these jobs are not only vital to the individuals and families supported by them, but they are crucial to the economy of our region and our country at large, our future export prospects, connectivity and our sovereign defence manufacturing capability with programmes like Tempest, the next generation of fighter aircraft. So when will the Prime Minister announce a wide-ranging support package for the aerospace industry, which must include a scrappage scheme for old and highly polluting Prime aircraft? Minister. And can I... No, I will examine the, the, the idea of a scrappage scheme uh, for old and highly polluting aircraft. But what I can tell him is that uh, long before then, uh, we're putting £3.9 billion into uh, the Aerospace Technology Institute. And as I'm sure he knows, uh, the Department of uh, Business, Enterprise uh, and, and Skills uh, has set up with Transport a joint task force to create Jet Zero, a, a zero emissions uh, passenger plane in which uh, this, company, uh, this country uh, will lead the world. We now head to Yorkshire and visit Nuzshah. Nuzshah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last week, the Chancellor said he could not save every job or business. Councils across England are facing a £10 billion black hole, which could see many issues, Section 114 notices, effectively declaring bankruptcy. Many councils are already beginning to make severe layoffs. So I asked the Prime Minister, will the Chancellor save local councils 
And does he feel that the support his government has already provided is enough for our most vulnerable communities and will not lead to council cuts and another era of austerity? Prime Minister. Uh, Yes, indeed, Mr Speaker. And in in Bradford uh, alone, uh, we've allocated £30 million to help deal with the pressures of the virus. And uh, as as I said uh, to the House uh, just now, uh, billions, I think £4.2 billion now, uh, in support uh, for local councils across the country. I I pay tribute to the work of of local councils and their services for helping us uh, to get through this pandemic, and we will continue to support them. Catherine Fletcher. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, out about talking to the good people of South Ribble, and they are worried about the economic effects of COVID, although they do also say, thank God, that other lot didn't get in, because I can't imagine how much trouble we'd be in right now. Um, uh, can the Prime Minister confirm that whilst there might be tough days ahead, this Conservative government is throwing the kitchen sink at fixing it? Well, come on, Mr Plummer. Uh, y- yes, Mr Speaker, not only, not only the kitchen sink, uh, but every part of the uh, of the kitchen, because uh, we are going to build, build, build our, our way forward, and we're going to we're going to be supporting the building of 300,000 uh, new homes a year, and uh, we are going to we are going to do everything we can to ensure that we get jobs, jobs, jobs uh, throughout uh, this country, uh, by in, whether by installing uh, kitchen sinks or any other part uh, of the house, uh, we will take this country forward. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I? Uh, refer the Prime Minister to the question asked by my honourable friend. Due to to a Covid outbreak in Kirklees, we are now an area needing enhanced support. The Council are being brilliant, they are testing on workforces and closing operations. But there is a cost to this, to the business but also to the worker put on statutory sick pay. So could I ask the Prime Minister to help us in the Council and communities like Batley and Spen? Can we have daily postcode data? And also, can, we have, can the Prime Minister commit to a, a package of support so that businesses can close and individuals can do the right thing to benefit all of us? Well, uh, yes, of course, we're, we're committing to, uh, to sharing uh, as much data as we have uh, with councils so that they can get on uh, at a local level, as, as they have been, uh, in dealing with the pandemic. And actually, uh, some of them have been doing an absolutely outstanding job, Kirklees in particular. And uh, we will continue to support councils up and down the land as they, as they engage in, in local action to make sure the whole country can start to get back to work. Other way, look. The Speaker, it's a pleasure to be back. A Toyota manufacturing based in my constituency, South Derbyshire, is the leading producer of low-emission hybrid cars in the UK. Their aim, like the government's, is to achieve zero emissions from their vehicles. However, would my right honourable friend agree with me that the importance of recognising and promoting the role of hybrids can play in the transition as we move from the vehicles that we have today to zero-emission transport going forward? Minister. Uh, yes, indeed, Mr. Speaker. I think hybrids and, and uh, uh, plug-in cars can certainly make a huge uh, difference, and they're an important part of our transition uh, to zero-emission vehicles. In which uh, this country, certainly in the battery technology, this country leads the world. Can I welcome the new SNP deputy leader, Kirsten Osmond? Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. My constituent, Daniel Kaplan, who has just turned 17, has been diagnosed with a diffuse midline glioma a brainstem tumour. That's a terminal diagnosis and an absolutely crushing one. 
There have been no new treatments for conditions like Daniel's for 40 years, so no progress in treating childhood brainstem tumours. Will the Prime Minister join me in supporting Daniel's family in their call for a renewed focus on research and for a light to be shone on awareness of childhood brainstem cancers so that other families in the future do not have to face the heartbreak that Daniel and his family are facing today? Uh. Yes, indeed, uh, Mr. Speaker, and, I, and uh, I, I, I know that everybody will sympathise very much with Daniel Kaplan and his and his family. And I will do what I can to ensure that uh, she is able to make representations to uh, the Department of Health uh, about uh, ensuring that childhood uh, brainstem cancers are are properly understood and, and properly tackled by this country. Sir Graham Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Some people are anxious to return to work. Uh, and some people find that they're actually as happy and productive at home uh, working as they would be at the office. But does the Prime Minister agree with me that the worst reason for staying at home is to follow blanket government advice that takes no account of safety? And will he commit to revising that government advice urgently? Prime Minister. Well, I, I, as I'm sure he knows uh, from studying the government advice, uh, my right honourable friend will, will, will see that it is, uh, we say very clearly, it's important that uh, business should be, uh, should be carried on and that employers should decide in consultation uh, with their workers whether it is safe uh, for their workers uh, to come in, for those workers to come in uh, to work or, or whether they should continue uh, working from home. I, I happen to think that employers in this country have made huge strides in getting our workplaces safe and that is the message that I think uh, we should all be conveying. Let's head to Livingston and visit Hannah Bardell. Hannah Bardell. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the Prime Minister will agree that men who mock women have no place in our society. Yet, according to Baroness Cumberledge in her report last week into the hormone pregnancy test Primados, sodium valparate and vaginal mesh, that is exactly what happened to thousands of women at the hands of some male medical experts. She said that many women were gaslighted and not believed. So will the Prime Minister commit to implementing all of the recommendations in her report? And will he meet with me Primados campaigner Mary Lyon and my constituent Wilma Ord, who suffered as a result of Primados, to ensure that women are heard and not denied essential care and those affected get the recompense they are rightfully due. Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, I'm sure I speak for many members in this House when I say I've had direct representations as a constituency MP uh, from uh, women who have suffered from exactly the conditions that uh, were identified uh, by Baroness Cumberledge and, and, her, and her committee. And I can also assure her that this government takes uh, that issue with extreme seriousness and I have absolutely no hesitation in uh, uh, acceding to her request for for a meeting either with myself or with, uh, with the Department of Health uh, to make sure that she feels that we're addressing the issues in the way that she would, uh, she would want. John Stevens. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The government wants green energy. The government wants to have security of energy supply. The government wants to boost economic development in the regions. The government wants to encourage apprenticeships and youth employment. The government wants to increase innovation investment and to have a dynamic supply chain. This is all an offer in Cumbria. Will the Prime Minister support, with government financial backing, the building of nuclear power generation facilities in Cumbria? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, we believe that uh, nuclear power is a um, 
significant potential contributor to our net zero ambitions and I look forward to working with my honourable friend uh, to ensure that Cumbria uh, continues its long uh, historic uh, tradition as a pioneer of new nuclear technologies. Final question, Helen Hayes. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It is exactly a week since 18-year-old Donnell Rule was murdered with a knife on the Kingswood estate in my constituency, leaving his family devastated and a close-knit community reeling. It is exactly two years since the Youth Violence Commission published its interim report setting out irrefutable evidence for the introduction of a cross-government approach to tackling serious violence. Yet the scourge of knife crime across the country continues. The Youth Violence Commission will publish its final report tomorrow. Will the Prime Minister commit to accept its recommendations and act immediately to introduce a cross-government public health approach to tackling serious violence and stop any more families from suffering such terrible loss? Prime Minister. Uh, well, Mr. Speaker, I know that everybody's sympathies will be the, uh, with the family of, uh, of the of family of the victim in her constituency, as they're with the family, families of all victims of knife crime. Uh, I think that there are two things we have to do. Uh, first of all, I, I entirely agree with her. You need a a, a, a cross-departmental medical approach focused on uh, on the needs of the families of the kids who particularly get involved uh, in knife crime, and 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 you need to put your arms around them and 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 stop them being diverted into. The the gangs that are so often uh, the, the root cause of the problem. But you also need a tough policing solution. And uh, I've been concerned uh, for the last few years that in London uh, in particular, which uh, she represents, uh, we have not seen the approach that we saw uh, under the previous uh, mayor, for instance, uh, where there was a significant reduction in, in knife crime, a significant reduction in murder, uh, by, dint of having, uh, by dint of having proportionate policing uh, that included the use of stop and search to stop young kids carrying knives. We need to, we need to be absolutely, have zero tolerance of kids going out on the street armed with a bladed weapon. That is absolutely vital. And the people, by sh uh, member opposite says shocking. Member opposite says shocking. The people, the people who, in my experience, who are most supportive of taking the, the knives of kids on the streets of our city are the mothers of, the of those kids who are most at risk of being killed. They support stop and search, and I hope she does too.